is Resurrection Day. What are you doing preaching from Acts? But just hang with me. In the context of our text today, uh, Paul has been arrested for preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles, just as Jesus, who appeared to him, the resurrected Christ. Paul was a witness of the resurrection years after the fact. He saw him, and the Lord ministered to him. But prior to that event, he had been a persecutor of the church, a killer of Christians, and was on his way to Damascus to arrest a bunch of believers. And it was there that he had this vision of Jesus who convicted him of his sin for resisting him, revealed himself to him as his Messiah, and he became a powerful preacher to which his former teammates in persecution decided he had betrayed them and they were out to destroy him. And... uh, had him arrested eventually when they were able to catch him. And Festus, who was a Judean governor at the time, ruling from his seat in Caesarea, had gone to Jerusalem. He had Paul incarcerated in Caesarea, waiting trial. He went to Jerusalem to investigate. Paul's accusers didn't see much water in what they had to say, so he invited them to come to Caesarea to make their accusations against this mighty preacher. And they came, and it was a pretty empty case. He still didn't see... What they had to say had any validity in terms of making this man die. And so he was holding him, wondering what to do next. And, and uh, back, uh, let me backtrack a minute here. Um, it, at this trial in Caesarea where they, he saw their case didn't hold much water, Paul appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen. If you appealed to Caesar, it was like taking the case to the next level. And so uh, Festus had to hold Paul till he could get him to Rome to where this could happen. And so in Acts chapter 26, King Agrippa and his wife Beatrice, who were from a neighboring uh, region of the Roman Empire, came to visit. And while staying with Festus, the ruler of Judea for Rome, Festus told him about this strange case with Paul. And King Agrippa and Beatrice said, we'd like to meet this guy. We'd like to hear his case. And so begins our text. We won't read the, the whole chapter, but verse 1 of chapter 26 says that, Agrippa, the king of the, re- of the neighboring region in the Roman Empire, said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. Now this man was a mighty preacher. Uh, tradition says that they had to change his guards every few hours, otherwise they would become believers. So, so Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. Verse 2, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself because uh, for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. And then he goes on and begins to build his case. Verse 8, he says, Why should it be thought incredible to you or unbelievable to you that God raises the dead? The whole thing in Paul's ministry that was disturbing his enemies was he was declaring the resurrection of the one they had sought to destroy trying to bring an end to the life of Jesus and had even played a part in his crucifixion, death, and burial. And to their dismay, the resurrection happened. So they're trying to hold down the spreading of this news and Paul becomes one of its mightiest proponents. And so he says these words, Why should it be thought incredible to you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Then he talked about how he persecuted the early church. And... And then he told of his conversion experience in verse 14 where the Lord appeared to him and uh, called him to preach the news 
of, of Christ's forgiveness of sins to Jew and Gentile. And verse 19, he concludes his vision by saying, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. See, the whole news of Jesus arising from the dead is good news because in his death, he made the way for our sins to be paid for. Not overlooked, but paid for. For you to be charged with sins by God that you have been forgiven of would be double jeopardy because his son paid for those sins. That's good news. Verse 21, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Verse 22, therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he Thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. Can we say truth and reason? For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us from your word today and that we would see how it applies to our lives and that we would all be equipped to declare the good news of your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 8, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? If there is a God who made everything, then it stands to reason that he can raise the dead. Amen? All the intricacies of this amazing universe and planet that we live on, evidence that somebody designed it. Happenstance would be ridiculous. Just as a caterpillar ceases to exist cocooning, just as a caterpillar ceases to exist cocooning to become a butterfly, and seeds go through a dying process beneath the surface of the soil to become vegetation, so Jesus died as our substitute, was buried in a tomb, and was risen from the dead three days later as our Lord and Savior. He died as our sacrifice and arose as our conqueror. Amen. Thank God for that metamorphosis. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Verse 24. Now as he made this defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driving you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, appealing to King Agrippa, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. This news had spread through the Roman government that something weird, strange, unexplainable had happened in Judea. And Rome fought it for 300 years before finally admitting it was true and embracing it. It is true. Amen. 
So I'd like to speak to you today, how can you believe in the resurrection? This is, I promise, this is the last sermon in the series. This happened two other times. But this is the last sermon in the series, Tough Questions Thinking People Are Asking. A thinking person, you may be here today, you may be a skeptic, you may be an atheist. And you have this question, and we hope to answer it for you today. How can you believe in the resurrection? This question may be asked of you, and it's my desire today that you would know how to answer it. We're living in the day of itching ears when many preachers are telling people what they want to hear. Our services could be more like pep rallies than encounters with the presence of the living God. And sermons can often be pep talks, moral lessons at best, rather than a declaration of the truth of God's Word. Many of today's so-called apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are offering entertainment and life enhancement lessons or exercises in self-improvement, that is, good works lecturing, instead of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Who would like to be equipped for ministry today? Part of our ministry is to declare the good news to the world. Therefore, I repeat, if someone were to ask you, how can you believe in the resurrection? How would you answer that question? That's a question to ask yourself today. This man is not a believer, but he has a better understanding of the gospel than a lot of so-called believers. His name is Christopher Hitchens. He's a noted atheist and author of the best-selling book, God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything. Since the boys, since the book's publication in 2007, Hitchens has toured the country debating a series of religious leaders, including some well-known evangelical thinkers. In Portland, though, he was interviewed by Unitarian minister Marilyn Sewell. There she is. The entire transcript of the interview is posted online. The following exchange took place near the start of the interview. Sewell said, the religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. I'm a liberal Christian. I don't take the stories from the scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make any distinction between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? Hitchens. I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. Well, Reverend Dr. Marilyn Sewell wanted no part of that. She said, let's go somewhere else. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 said, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Why you can believe in the resurrection. Number one, 17 eyewitness testimonies were recorded. 17 eyewitness testimonies were recorded. And the transcripts of those testimonies are in the scriptures that date all the way back to within a hundred years of their origin that we still have with us today. This man is the world's greatest lawyer. Um, Guinness Book of World, World Records claimed him to be the world's most successful attorney who succeeded in getting his 
245th consecutive murder acquittal by January 1st of 1985. This is a brilliant guy. If you were in trouble, you would want him for your lawyer. During his own spiritual journey, Sir Lionel Lucku took his expertise in law and went through the question of whether the resurrection of Jesus Christ stands up to the test of legal evidence. He ultimately, he ultimately concluded, I say unequivocally, that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. If we doubt the resurrection of Jesus, then how can we ever believe anything in history? How can you just choose something in ancient history? How can you believe that it happened? You've got to be able to believe eyewitness reports. How could we ever have justice in this nation if eyewitness reports have no value? Number two, persecution ensured the honesty of eyewitnesses. They brought fire on themselves. They brought pain on themselves for preaching the message of the resurrected Jesus. Why would any sane person do that? unless they believed it to be the truth. Now, he appeared to over 500 people at one time, so it was more than 17 eyewitnesses, just the reports that we have in the New Testament. So persecution that already existed is why Christ died, still was in existence against anyone that would further that message. And so these followers of Jesus, these eyewitnesses, many of them died violent deaths. Many of them lost everything. Position, prestige, prosperity, everything for the sake of the gospel. To spread this news of the resurrection. Why would they do that if it wasn't true? Well, there's cults in the world and and the people follow the lines of the cults. Yes, but they believe what the cults tell them. I mean, the people that drank Jim Jones Kool-Aid believed they were practicing. And he got it. These people believed it. Um, were it not true, they would have scattered. They were already scattered after his death, but his resurrection reunited them. Number three, Christ's enemies served to prevent any hoaxes. No one could steal the body. They didn't want... Any hoaxes. They sought to prevent it. There was a heavy stone at the mouth of the tomb that would take several people to move it. There was a Roman seal making it a criminal offense to break that seal, to remove the stone. And there was a detachment of Roman guards on duty 24, 24, I started to say 24 7, but 24 3. <laughs> that if they fell asleep, they'd be burned alive. Now think about it. If you're on guard with several guys, and one of you falls asleep, what are you going to do? You're going to keep him awake. Because sometimes they would burn him all alive. Sometimes they would choose one that didn't fall asleep and burn him alive. So it kept them all on their toes. There was no falling asleep. That was a goofy explanation. Nobody bought it, and the gospel spread. I mean, uh, 50 days after all this happened, the church was in the thousands of members. Which brings us to our... Our next point. But before we get to the next point, Lee Strobel addresses the issue of legends. Some people believe the resurrection of Jesus is a legend. Lee Strobel seeks to answer this accusation. He was an atheist and a journalist 
whose wife converted to Christianity, and he set out on a quest to prove her wrong. And as a result, became a believer. And out of that quest, a book called The Case for Christ was written. And he had this to say, the accounts of Jesus Christ, addressing the issue of whether or not this story is a legend, the accounts of his resurrection began very early, before mythology could contaminate the accounts. For instance, we have a creed recited by the church as early as 24 to 36 months after the death of Jesus that said, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. That's from 1 Corinthians. The creed goes on to specifically mention eyewitnesses that Jesus appeared to. The fact that these accounts of Jesus' resurrection go back so early completely contradicts the assertion that the resurrection was a product of mythology that developed during the decades following Jesus' life. Studies into the rate at which legends accrued in the ancient world tell us it takes a minimum of two generations for for mythology to corrupt a solid historical fact. There was nowhere near that amount of time in the case of Jesus Christ. In fact, when the Apostle Paul mentions that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time, he says that many of the 500 were still alive at the time he mentioned them. In effect, Paul was saying, if you don't believe me, go ask these people. They're still around. The proclamation that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God began virtually immediately after his death and was not a product of mythology. Number four, the empty tomb helped birth the church. Just, I mean, what an evangelistic tool. You don't believe Jesus? Let's go see the tomb. Step into that thing. What an awesome tool. Number five, all cover-up attempts or explanations thus far have failed. Christianity is growing at an incredible rate around the world, especially in China. The Roman executioners never failed. Christ really did die. When you were sentenced to die and they were assigned that task, they made sure it was done. They were professionals. The tomb, the stone, and the seal prevented false resurrections. Christ's enemies never produced his body. They never found the real tomb if they claimed that wasn't the right one. And a group of Roman guards would never fall asleep while on duty. And so... Uh, some of the modern explanations of what could have happened, those are the wannabe theories. Uh, like maybe he really didn't die or maybe he fainted or the, the Islamic theory, that really wasn't Jesus on the cross. That was somebody else. And I love this one. After 300 years of resistance, the Roman Empire began promoting the story of the resurrection. They promoted it too much. They crammed it down your throat. That wasn't good. Number seven, history was marked by it permanently. What is the year? What's, what's the year? 2010 A.D. Christ hadn't risen from the dead. That wouldn't have happened. It created a benchmark in history, a, such a, an amazing event that time is measured historically with that. We look back because of that. We look back before that, before Christ, B.C. They're attempting to do away with that, uh, with um, A.E. I'm not sure what A.E. stands for, but 
the B.C. time, they changed to B.C.E., which means before Christian era. So even the revisionists can't get away from it. I mean, what's, what's the Christian era point to? The resurrection. Number eight, believing in the resurrection has changed my life and the lives of others for the better globally. It affects every culture where the good news is taken. How many lives have been made better? Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. This man, A.N. Wilson, is a brilliant philosopher who wrote a book in 2004 entitled Jesus. In this book, he claimed that Jesus was a failed messianic prophet. But on Saturday before Easter of last year, he wrote a shocking piece for London's newspaper, the Daily Mail, in which he shared his experience of participating in a Palm Sunday service just the weekend before. He wrote this in the London Daily Mail. He said, When I took part in the procession last Sunday, he visited this church, and heard the gospel be enchanted, I assented to it with complete simplicity. My own return to faith has surprised no one more than myself. Why did I return to it? Partially, perhaps, it is no more than the confidence I have gained with age. Rather than being cowed by them, I relish the notion that, by asserting a belief in the risen Christ, I am defying all the liberal, all the liberal clever clogs on the block. But there is more to it than that. My belief has come about in large measure because of the lives and examples of people I have known. Not the famous, not the saints, but friends and relations who have lived and faced death in the light of the resurrection story or in the quiet acceptance that they have a future after they die. Sadly, the secularists have all but accepted that only stupid people actually believe in Christianity and that the few intelligent people left in the churches are there only for the music. (laughs) Not there for the preaching, I guess. Or believe it all in some sort of symbolic or metaphoric sense like um, uh, some churches today will preach a sermon, he'll roll your stones away. Or um, how to bounce back from defeat. Um, The story of the resurrection isn't some metaphor to use for motivational purposes. This thing happened. He goes on to say, as a matter of fact, I'm sure the opposite is the case, that materialistic atheism is not merely an arid creed, but is totally irrational. Materialist atheism says we are just a collection of chemicals. It has no answer whatsoever to the question of how we should be capable of love or heroism or heroinism or poetry if we are simply animated pieces of meat. The resurrection which proclaims that matter and spirit are mysteriously conjoined is the ultimate key to one who we are. It confronts us with the extraordinarily haunting story of the resurrection. Johann Sebastian Bach believed the story and set it to music. Most of the greatest writers and thinkers of the past 1,500 years have believed it. But an even stronger argument is the way that the Christian faith transforms individual lives, the lives of the men and women with whom you mingle with on a daily basis, the man, the woman, or the child next to you in church tomorrow morning. I think the greatest evidence today of the resurrection is our lives that testify to His 
reality. Happy Resurrection Day. People have not gathered on this day for the past 2,000 years to say the stock market has risen. It has risen indeed. (laughs) They have not gathered to say the dollar, the pound, the euro has risen. They have risen indeed. Or the unemployment rate have risen. Or the Republicans have risen. Or the gross domestic product data has risen. Or General Motors has risen. Or... Toyota has risen, or the value of your your 101K has become a 401K now. It has risen. It's the one hope that has held up human beings across every continent and culture for two millennia through difficult times of poverty, disease, pain, hardship, and death itself. Christ is risen. Amen. Liturgical churches are declaring that around the world today. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. I remember reading a story during the heavy-handed days of the communist regime in the Soviet Union. And in a little village, they made sure the Orthodox Church couldn't meet and had a public rally in the little town square. And standing on the platform, this, (coughs) this elite communist declared the glories of atheism. And then he mocked Jesus Christ. He mocked and made fun of the virgin birth. He mocked the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he got done, he thought he'd done a great job. He got no standing ovation, though, to his dismay. And so it was time to convene the meeting and let people go. And in the back of the crowd, a frail little voice said, in Russian, of course, Christ is risen. And the crowd said, He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. (laughs) Christ is risen. risen Amen. Let's stand. You've heard the good news of Jesus proclaimed today. If you find yourself beginning to believe this story, that is called saving faith that only God can give. He's given you the ability to believe the fact that Jesus died for your sins and was buried and has risen from the dead as your Savior. Those things that separate you from God have been paid for. You can pray and your prayers can be heard. You can pray and your prayers can be answered. You can be encouraged in the midst of the most unbelievable, discouraging times, and you can face death fearlessly. Because He is the firstborn to rise from the dead. He's your Savior. Let's pray this prayer together. God in heaven, I believe that you sent Jesus your Son to die for our sins and to rise from the dead for our righteousness. Thank God. Calvary to save a wretch like you and me. That's love. That's love. Jesus went to Calvary. 
stretched him wide. He hung his head for me. He died. That's the